windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Underbuskero, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. And welcome, Mike Gallagher, alongside Jay Sandoz. Jay along in just a moment as we talk ETSU men's basketball facing Mercer tonight, 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame on the Buccaneer Sports Network. And before we dive into the Mercer Talk in segment two and also get to head coach Brad Irwin of ETSU softball segment three and finally the college insider mid-major top 25, we talk Steve Forbes from the ETSU Radio Coaches Show on Monday night, and he delved deep into the Jerome Rodriguez situation. I think people get a little upset sometimes when they feel like we don't divulge enough information on injuries, but that really comes down to one person, and that comes down to the player. Uh, If the player tells me that I can talk about his injury, then I do. If the player tells me that I can't, I don't, because we have laws on that. Uh, I think those are called HIPAA, if I'm correct. Doc's shaking his head, yes. Jerome, on this issue gave me permission to talk about it. So what has happened with Jerome is he had plantar fasciitis, and he had it late in the year last year during the season that flared up on him. Didn't quite know exactly at that point what it was. In the summertime, it wasn't getting any better, so he had surgery on that. It got better. We got into the season, and he just wasn't feeling 100%. We went to see the Charlotte Hornets doctor a couple times, tried to get some a different opinion, but we got great doctors here as well. So he continued to play through it, but he really – I never thought he was at 100%. Now, looking at league stats, you know, today in the three league games that he played, he was averaging 13-9 and nine and shooting 72% from the, from the field, so we'd like to have him. But after the Furman game, he just said, Coach, I can't do it, and took him out of practice, took him out of games, did an MRI, came up negative. Took another MRI on Monday, last Monday, and it came out he has a stress reaction. Well, a stress reaction is really the beginning of a stress fracture. And so it's something different totally than his plantar fasciitis, which is extremely unfortunate because nobody wants us wants him to play more than I do, but we're not going to do anything to, to jeopardize his health or his career. And he's not able to play at the level that he wants to play at with that injury. And so and one thing with Jerome, he's very diligent every day with his rehab. He's in there all the time. Hopefully, you know, a couple weeks, three weeks, I don't know, it could go away and maybe he could play. But if it don't, then he won't. Um, I, I hope it's not the case, uh, but we've got to keep moving forward. He, and he's been a tremendous teammate. Most kids with his talent and his ability would really feel sorry for themselves and probably would sit on the bench and not be a great teammate. And he's been an unbelievable teammate the three years that he's been here, and I'm most proud of him for that. 
As we welcome in Jay Sandos, he confirmed to you that being Coach Forbes before the game on Saturday that Jeremy Rodriguez was going to be out another couple of weeks. But on the coach's show Monday night while he was alongside you at Wildwind Cafe, had a chance, as you heard, to delve very deep and really go from front to back on that situation, which unfortunately for Jeremy Rodriguez, ETSU fans, and the team itself um, is not good news. That being said, very interesting to hear how things have progressed and the fact that this is different from that injury that he was dealing with um, over really what sounded like the better part of a year. Yeah, and I, I think it... You know, if you had any question about it, I think he covered every bit of it. You know, I don't think there was anything left to question, and that was about a thorough as a comment as you've had from a, a Coach Forbes, at least, on an injury. And, again, it comes down to the kid, and certain kids will talk about it, let you talk about it, and certain guys are more private maybe don't want to talk about it. And Jerome is a more private guy when it comes to, to injuries and stuff where other players aren't. Like, yeah, coach, you can tell me what I got, whatever. I, you know, and some guys were like, no, I don't really want to talk about it. So, But now that he's been given the the coat green to talk about it, then it just seemed like uh, I, I thought he handled it and sort of the breakdown of everything because you get in the injuries where – and, and he, he mentioned HIPAA, and you get into that, and, it's you know, it's a federal law, and it protects all students. It's not just student athletes. Like, this is just a blanket across everything. So – it's there for a reason, not to release some things. And so, it's there, you know, you, you kind of got to go by that. It's not the pros. And I think sometimes people get upset that it's not as transparent. The pros, I would still argue the pros still aren't transparent about some of that stuff either. But it, being able to talk about it and giving that breakdown, I think, takes all the questioning one way or another what happened. And also, I think it dove back into really what was going on where people really weren't sure what's going on was it a shoulder was it a knee is it a foot what in the world is it now you know uh, that it was uh, plantar fasciitis and as engaged as this fan base is not surprising that people do you know have a little bit of angst when you don't hear enough about an injury and certainly behind the scenes you and me hear a bit more about injuries but because as you said of those privacy laws uh, HIPAA when it comes to health and then the financial side there's a financial side one too when it comes to uh, the collegiate realm FERPA you know there's a couple of them where you really just can't release stuff without consent of an athlete or a student or whoever it may be that is enrolled at the university as these student athletes are. And my worry with this injury now is it still is a very tentative timetable, it sounds like to me at least, reading between the lines and hearing Coach Forbes' tone and looking at what seems to be the confidence level, at least as I'm assessing it, about that he'll be back in two to three weeks. I'm not sure that that's a hard-line thing. It just seems like a touch-and-go want to make sure that we don't promise anything because there's a very real possibility that Dromey could be out until the SOCON tournament, if not beyond. Well, let's be honest. That's when you get reevaluated. Right. Is in a couple of weeks, three weeks, and that would be the earliest you're back. That's not a dead set. He is back in two to three weeks. That is, uh, it will be another two or three weeks, reevaluate, see what happens. And then the question becomes, you get into mid-February, you know, how do you use him when you come back? I mean, is he still in game shape? Because you're talking about a foot. It's not like he's been able to run up and down. You know, if it's a shoulder, maybe he can still condition and run a little bit and do some things. But, he, you know, not that Jeremy wasn't in good shape or great shape before that, but is he in game shape? Would he start? Would he come off the bench? How's the chemistry going, team? You know, certainly I think he's going to help rebounding, although the Bucks have done a better job of trying to figure out how to rebound. I think the Bucks are certainly better with him than without him. Uh, when it's all said and done, but there is some chemistry things. You're kind of curious to see what happens. There's also some matchup things where he would really help you out 
and, and the Bucks have been real good so far. I know they got a little bit of foul trouble last game, but they haven't had tremendous post-foul trouble, and you just kind of hold your breath because at some point in time, you know, just basketball in general, you're going to get a couple calls that don't go your way at some point, uh, more than likely on the road. And if you're short post and don't have Rodriguez, well, the Bucks going to be able to recover from that. So there's a lot to to think about, but I do agree with your assessment. Don't don't sit there and, and circle a calendar. Don't count the days. That's right, and say, okay, we are now 11 days till he's back. You, that is not 100%. They just are going to reevaluate at that time. And if he is healthy, then they start working him back into the fold. Coach Savage and I, we're going over this today. And I'll just go down the list. Winthrop is 8-0 in the Big South. They're winning their league. Southern Utah has uh, in second place in their league. Little Rock's winning the Sun Belt. North Dakota State's in second. LSU's winning the SEC. Kansas is winning the, and I think, in second in the, in the Big Twelve. We did play some, some good teams in the non-conference, and now we all need to be rooting for them to win, every game that they can win, because it improves our net ranking, which in the end, that's what the NCAA will look at, pretty much when it comes to, the tournament. And we're going to talk about a few of these opponents we haven't really touched on in the mid-major top twenty-five because they actually have moved into the mid-major top twenty-five for the first time this year. Winthrop and Arkansas Little Rock, but that's just talking about the, I guess you could say, direct relation, indirect relation, a correlation of ETSU and their push for the NCAA tournament with whether it be obviously winning the league is going to get you there but you look at their uh, net ranking and I believe the last check it was 42 last time I looked at it and there was a very interesting conversation with yourself and coach Forbes on a couple of different occasions on the coaches show about the trends from the net ranking last year now there were a couple of teams and this was the big stat I thought a couple of teams that were in the 30s last year that did not get in, though that came with the caveat that North Carolina State was one of them, and they had like the dead last strength of schedule in the entire country at the Division One level. So just talking about how the opponents ETSU's played. Which is tough played, because they even played in the ACC, so think about how bad that non-conference horrific. was. How Without bad a doubt. that was. Horrific. Embarrassing. So that's a special circumstance, and ETSU strength of schedule certainly, as you can hear from Coach Forbes talking about it, much better than that. Got the signature win over LSU hung tough with Kansas on the road and a number of conference leaders outside of the power fives that can help with that net ranking as well. So really, truly, it is now turning from rooting against those teams when you played them to now pulling for them a bit. It is interesting how sort of that all breaks down, you know, because you're it, it it's, not, it's like the conference too. Like as hard as it is to sit there and go, man, I hope UNCG, Wofford, Furman, the other school – <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say it. That get wins. It, it is important, and, and unfortunately, and 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 it helps. Everything helps the ranking, the ratings, and get. It's especially when you want to be a team, a conference that gets a team an at-large bid, a multi-bid league. That's exactly what you want. You have to have, and then you pull from them there. Then you get into league play, and then you immediately t- turn right. You turn on them, and you want them to lose every game so that your team can can win the league and all that stuff but then you turn on the non-conference teams and be like all right so i was pulling you know for them to lose to uh unc Jarrett because there is an opponent's opponents so the fact that uncg beat georgetown can still help etsu if georgetown keeps winning games too so there is an oddity to that and that was something added i, I think was brilliant uh you know along the way which is why a lot of teams are, are you know should be pulling for lsu to win because etsu defeated LSU, they need them to win. And, you know, UNCG and ETSU needs Kansas to keep winning. And I know they got some suspensions and, and uh, 
trying to work through that next little bit, but you need Kansas to win as many games as humanly possible because all that plays into effect. North Dakota State went up other teams he talked about. So it is interesting how you be, how you, you become a cheerleader of certain teams, turn on certain teams, and then become a cheerleader again on the backside. Here's so. Coach Forbes' thoughts on Mercer tonight. They've won four in a row. Greg Gary's a good friend, and I think he's a tremendous coach. Came from Purdue. Uh, his team's playing at a high level right now. Georgie is averaging 22 points a game. Is a really good player. and I saw him play in junior college at Western Nebraska. I really like his game. Uh, Ethan Stair is another guy who's been around a while. He's averaging a bunch. Uh, the Bender kid transferred in from West Virginia. Uh, I really like their team. They run motion like we do. They play man. They're going to play faster than what Coach Hoffman's team's played. One of the advantages we kind of always had playing Mercer was they never really tried to expose you in transition. They wanted to run a lot of sets and half-court plays, and so we were able to go back and guard them. We'll have to do both now because they'll get out and run. I know it's going to be a, a tough game, so we're going to have to give them all of our attention. We started that today with film and practice, and we'll do it again tomorrow and Wednesday. We'll give our thoughts on ETSU and Mercer on Santos and the Sidekick next on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Santos and a sidekick back with you talking about tonight's game, ETSU versus the Mercer Bears. The Bucks on a 10-game win streak. And a matter of fact, it's been longer than that. Uh, the last time they lost was at Mercer, and it was February 28, 2015. Last time they lost in Johnson City, New Year's, not New Year's Eve, that would be December 31st. This was January 31st, so I've uh, got to read this the correct way, but that was January 31st, 2014. So the Bucks have certainly had their way against the Bears. Although... Right, transitioning coach. There's certainly been emergence of a great player in Georgie Dimitri Ivich. And then uh, you add Ethan Stair coming back to relevancy. His freshman year, believe it or not, was 2015-16. Wow. And then the next year he had an injury set out and then sort of fell underneath a rock and didn't get a lot of playing time his sophomore, redshirt sophomore year, maybe just coming back from the injury. Last year a little bit of a better year, but now he's sort of emerged as a double-double machine for the Mercer Bears. So a good freshman, a good fifth year for him. And sort of the one that sticks out is Ross Cummings, just six games played, a foot injury is all that's been divulged. Don't know if he'll be able to play the rest of the year. If he's trying to work his way back, he's a senior. Um, would be able, I'm assuming, if he just played six games to get a medical, come back one more year, maybe again, if it's in the cards, that's what he wants to do. But certainly the new coach, Greg Gary's, Got him on a four-game win streak, but Georgie Dimitrievich is the most impressive thing to me. Last six games, he's averaging 26 points per contest. Wow, and he's definitely been needed by this team because, as you said, no Ross Cummings, and he's been 
on and off the court during the non-conference, but the last time he played was against Florida Atlantic December 22nd, and early on, the intel was ankle, but that was back in November because, again, he would play a game, miss like three, and then come back and play three and miss two more, and then finally the cycle ended on December 22nd, and he just hasn't played in now what is about six weeks, five, six weeks uh, at this point, and he's their leading scorer from last year. So the fact that he is not able to be out there is a big thing. They've needed someone to step up. Dmitrievich has been that, and that's especially considering you named Dmitrievich and Stare. That's about the only two recognizable names outside of Cummings back from last year on this roster. There were 10 gone from that roster. They had nine freshmen last year, six of which are gone. Only Patrick Uri, uh, who redshirted last year, Daniel Love and Mitch Prendergast are back. Uh, they played only 12 of the 17 players, uh, or they played only 12 of their 17 players they had on the roster last season. And of those, uh, you look and see who's back, and it's Stare, Dmitrievich, and, and Daniel Love, who was kind of seldom used last year, eight or nine minutes per game. So Dmitrievich, Stare, Daniel Love, essentially the only names that you're going to see and say, oh, yeah, that's right, I remember him. Well, the, the only other one, it's, and it's just because it's a great name, is Bafudo, but he played six minutes a game last year so uh, very sparingly I think he only scored um, he had four points and he had two points in each game versus ETSU last year so they added a, a transfer from West Virginia as well they had to sit out that's able to play uh, Jeffrey Gary's a transfer who was his nephew yep. Greg Gary's nephew from UNCW he's been able to shoot from the outside as well but there's not a lot of familiar and even when you look at Dimitri Evich who actually had a nice year last year just averaged six points versus ETSU. So he averaged double figures, but for whatever reason against the Bucks, he was one of seven from three, no assists, three turnovers, 12 total points in those two games. He just wasn't able to get things going against ETSU, but certainly he's got things rocking and rolling now. Uh, he was the he did not win the Southern Conference Player of the Week because Bo Hodges picked that up, but he did pick up, I think, a, a mid-major madness um, award for Player of the Week. Again, he averaged... Uh, right at 26 points for the week again, or 25 points, I guess it was, for the week. So uh, he was Southern Conference reigning player of the week the previous week where he had scored 60 points in two games. So he's just rocking and rolling, shooting a 57% uh, percent clip from two, 47% clip from three, mm. and here's the big one, 32 of 35 from the line. Wow. So he's doing it all over the place, doing it from two, he's doing it from three, he's getting to the free throw line, he's scoring on all three levels, and he's certainly the guy ETSU has to be concerned about. Yeah, and really, if you look at who they're going to need to stop, obviously he would be task number one. Then you look at Stare and Gary. All of those three average about six threes per game, roughly 70% of the threes that they'll take as a team. Uh, Gary's the worst in terms of efficiency at 28%, but Stare and Dmitrievich on the year, 39% combined. And that's over the life of the season. That's a pretty impressive number. The only other person that you're going to find, and I always like to point out these sneaky guys that seem to shoot a high percentage but just don't shoot it that often, Kamar Robertson at 13 to 27 from outside. So can be a bit of a game wrecker if given the opportunity, if it's his night. And once again, we've pointed out a number of guys that it has been their night. Allegri last year from UNCG and then even look last game. I'm even forgetting his name now. Um, but uh, as they came back into the game, ETSU's Caldwell, A.J. Caldwell. Yep, Caldwell. Sorry. Yep, Sorry. Exactly. You Caldwell. caught me sideways, too. Yes, yeah. A.J. Cal Caldwell. Caldwell has like 16, 17 points last game, uh, a guy that just doesn't often touch the ball, let alone shoot that often, and made the most of his shots. But Gary has kind of stepped in and taken over for Jalen Stowe. You remember him from last year. He was their third leading scorer, averaged about 11 a game. That's where Gary is. Now, I'm not sure 
if he was injured in the early part of the year because he transferred from Casper College, so there was no need to sit out because that's an NJCAA. But he didn't play the first uh, month or so of the season and since has played like 11 games. But whatever the case may have been, since he's played those 11 games um, and his first school, of course, being UNCW, uh, third leading score, double digits, almost doing exactly what Stowe did in terms of scoring production. And it's been tough for Mercer to get continuity in that starting lineup. 12 of their 13 players that have played have started a game and a lot of that has to do with of course Cummings being in and out of the lineup and then you get Gary and some things have just been shifting throughout the year but over the last four games this four game winning streak they've certainly seemed like they've figured it out and they've been able to do so in a variety of ways which is what we talk about often when it comes to teams and you hear ETSU talking about it when they don't have the offense that's why they practice defense so much because defense is going to travel defense is going to be something that you can count on and Mercer has been able to find ways to win a few different games as well you look over the last four they've got 90 in a win they've also won 69 to 66 now I'm not saying VMI twice at Sanford and home to Western Carolina is necessarily a murder right run. right and that's and that's a good, it's sort of like Western and and again they lost at Western they were coming off a, a three-game slide they had lost at UNCG, which I think obviously respectable. Lost to Chattanooga when Chattanooga was playing fairly good basketball. And then lost at Western. All which, pretty close games. And, and Western's only home loss is ETSU. They've defended, and they've got a big one uh, coming up uh, tonight as well. As they'll, t- uh, they'll play host to UNCG. But, you know, those losses you look at and you go, okay. And then it's like, okay, can they beat the lower level teams? That being VMI, Samford. Then Western was the big one for me because Western had, you know, Carlos Dotson back, and it was at their place. And they played a fairly tight game at Western, and they were able to really shoot the basketball at high clip, and that's really what did the difference. So, again, I think it comes down to how the Bucks defend the three. How are they shooting? ETSU is 14-1 and one when they make more threes. And, again, some of those – games it's it's even last game you know it's five to four uh, you know it's 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 seven to six you know they're really not there's a couple of games where they, they've had double digit threes and and a good spread of made threes but ETSU just making one or two more threes is just enough and I think that's going to be the situation last game they actually outshot from three I think Chattanooga finished with five ETSU just with four and they're three and two in those games when not making more uh threes than their opponents but still, that's going to be a key stat because I think if you can run Mercer offline, that's what ETSU did to chat. They said, hey, they've got to try to beat us from two, not from three, and that ended up being the difference in the game. I think it's a similar scenario tonight in Freedom Hall. ETSU has to run them off the line. Yeah, I hate to take out a club and beat the dead horse with you, but we talked about this before Chattanooga as well. It really comes down to threes on both sides of the ball. And you look at Mercer, you talked about the ETSU stats from three. I tried to find what's been going right for Mercer over these last four, what's been different. And they're just red hot from three and from the uh, the floor uh, in these last four. Since their opening day loss to St. John's, this is a larger picture three-point stat. When they've hit eight or more threes, they're eight and two. They're two and nine when they don't. So obviously for them, that's a key as well, and it has been – for ETSU and over the last four they're shooting like 51% from the field and like 46% or something like that from outside and they have hit uh, eight or more in each of the last four games so uh, it's been very important they're five and one when hitting double digit threes and then you just look in other areas to find out where exactly they've maybe turned a corner or uh, done things differently than previous games at least in three of their last four 
they were plus 23, and that was before the VMI game where they were minus six. But again, they found a way to win when they weren't doing the things that they want to do. And that's the mark of a good team, right, is when you're not at your best, how do you find a way to win? And in that game, 69 to 66, while they were minus six, they did manage to pull out that three-point victory. So they've been crashing the glass a bit more. You know, set that VMI game aside, those last three that they won before the VMI game, plus 23, they like to shoot the ball from deep when they do it well they're a tough beat now that being said you look at the number eight and two it's not like they're unbeatable when hitting eight or more but this is where ETSU's improvements this year games like this are so important because I think you'd look at every stat talk to anybody around the team you have with head coach Steve Forbes I'm sure others have echoed it we've heard players talk about it on the post game show and uh, even on this show you know Patrick Good mentioned it last week uh, before ETSU uh took on I believe it was Chattanooga I suppose it was Saturday but he talked about it Wednesday because there was no midweek game last week defending the arc is where ETSU has been that much better this year the team last year was very solid it was not spectacular at a certain number of things one of those was defending the three and cutting the massive percentage they have off opponent three-point percentage has been big in many games to this point and I think it'll be big tonight as well yeah I absolutely agree and I think ETSU, the big thing is they've led 94% of all minutes at home. In the first half, they've scored in all games, they've scored 788 points. Their opponent's 591. If you average that out over all the games, that's almost plus 10. It's nine point something. So the fast start and putting a team away that has gotten some confidence is important. I thought it was important to do that against Western Carolina, who came into the game hot, very excited about how they were playing. Chattanooga came in the game hot. Very excited how they were playing. ETSU was able to get to a big lead. They were able to take some moment away. Now, I know both teams fought back somewhat, but it, it got a little maybe uncomfortable, a little bit more in the chat game, but never got to real threatening uh, situation. I think that's also important. Can the Bucks f- have a good first half, which they've traditionally done this season, and then in the second half just take the hope away and not let a team like Mercer hang around and especially not let a team that can hang around in which you got a talented scorer that can score from about anywhere on the floor. Yeah, no question. I mean, to get out to a fast start and just look across and see Mercer kind of giving the, well, here we go again. Like you said, it's 10 wins in a row over a five-year span. And you go back to, I believe it was, and I'm going to have to double-check this on the fly, but was it not the last uh, regular season game under head coach Murray Bartow? February 28th, that 69-64 loss, 2014-15 season, and then they go on to play Western Carolina, lose in the quarterfinals. Yeah, so that was, that was Murray's last year. Uh, last regular season Steve game. Steve Forbes has never lost to Mercer. And that's the case with a couple of different schools that uh, we've seen ETSU play over the last uh, week, week and a half. So it's always nervy when you hear streaks like that, I think, because the ramification of losing – and breaking a streak like that is that much bigger, right? That much greater. The season is just flowing along so smoothly right now, and you don't want any stumbling block that you haven't previously had to pop up because it can shine a light on some issues that we may not have known were there. It doesn't feel like that will happen with this team. They just seem rock solid everywhere. But that's the difficult thing about this conference this year. And to an extent last year, though, you kind of knew game in, game out, who the best four were aware you still have an idea who the top three are, right? Furman, UNCG, ETSU. But now with Western beating Wofford, there's maybe a little bit of wonder there. And so Mercer coming out and winning four in a row. I think it's a bit more unpredictable than last season, and you can justify that a few ways. Is it unpredictable because the conference isn't strong up top? 
I don't think that's it because I think ETSU would have given Wofford a run for their money last year with this team and perhaps depending on the night from Fletcher McGee as we've seen in the postseason (laughs) they may have beaten them at the key point in this season but you can also say well it's just more balanced you know those top six or seven it's you know six or seven deep instead of just four deep like it was last year I'm interested to see how this game goes tonight I don't worry a ton as long as like you said you come out do what you did to Chattanooga or something like it you know punch them in the mouth see if they've got anything left obviously the mocks were able to work themselves back into that game but when you have the big cushion like ETSU did and also coming off that game I don't think they'll make the same mistake twice in terms of letting an opponent back in but when you have that big cushion there is a little bit of room for error hopefully the Bucks get off to a strong start against Mercer because obviously we have a big one coming up Saturday which will be even bigger if both ETSU and UNCG win tonight and then it, it's, it's it's hard not to look to there. Still, both teams got to play, and I think both teams are somewhat looking to that. I, I think ETSU fans are looking to that. I think UNCG Greensboro fans are looking to that. But both teams have to focus on Wednesday night tonight, seven o'clock in their respective well ETSU in their respective building for UNCG. It's a road game in Cullowee, which again the Catamounts have been very good. Only loss to ETSU. Other than that, they've handled everybody at home. Both games at 7 o'clock. Of course, our pregame show coverage on the Buccaneers Sports Network, 6.30, 7 o'clock tip, ETSU versus the Mercer Bears. Step aside for a timeout. When we come back, more of Santa's Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sidekick back on this Wednesday. Mike Gallagher along with head coach Brad Irwin from ETSU Softball. Jay Sando steps aside. Spring sports are coming right around. Don't sleep on them. They'll be here, heck, for Coach Irwin's squad in about uh, 10, 11 days. Always the early February start. Five games. The Bash in the Borough in Statesboro, Georgia. Rutgers, Georgia Southern, Army, Georgia Southern, then Rutgers again. Three teams, five games, just a couple weekends from now. And Coach joins us to break down the team as he does really every year around this time. And Coach, firstly, Good to have you back. Uh, always enjoy talking to you on the show. A lot was back, speaking of back, from the team two years ago to last year's team. End up going 22-27-2, 6-11 in the league, 2-2 two two in the conference tournament with a win over the number two seed, Sanford. Kind of anything can happen that time of year, as your team knows very well. And getting that win came up short of going further, but certainly an encouraging result. When you look overall at last year, what was the story of that team in your mind? Uh, you know, the story of last year's team was probably inconsistency. You know, we uh, we started off, we were okay, and then we'd go through a good stretch, and then it'd be a, a rough stretch, and then good stretch, and then conference play, we weren't very consistent um, either. It seemed like we would, uh, you know, show up one weekend and maybe uh, pitch it well, play good defense, and couldn't score a run. Next weekend, we may score runs and just didn't pitch it well, didn't play very good defense. So last year was just kind of a, I would say, inconsistency. Just couldn't quite put it all together. Um, on a, at a consistent level. 
I like to look at things positionally and break down the roster. It seemed outside of not maybe having that shutdown pitcher that Madison Ogle was from the year before. The other thing would have been big impact performers from the year prior taking some steps back offensively. Now, defensively, I think you're number 16 in the nation in fielding percentage, so very, very solid at nearly every position. But Taylor Wright, batting average dropped 50 points. Lauren Lee, bit of a sophomore slump down 60. Vanessa Elliott, who's since graduated, down 100. And those were three of your top four hitters from two years ago. Frustrating, I'm sure, but also I think it has to be encouraging considering that you still managed to win three more games than the year prior, showing some of the depth of your team. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, we just... You know, it's, it's never on one or two, two individual players. But uh, you know, those types of numbers, and, and we didn't have somebody then step up and and, and pull it, the extra weight there. You know, if somebody's um, numbers are going to drop that much, then you then you're looking for somebody else to to to, to jump that much to kind of even out. But we, we didn't quite have that. You know, we we felt like we we were strong in the middle of the lineup. But uh, you know, no matter who it was towards towards the bottom of the lineup we just did not have production on a, at a consistent level you know so when you go out and you hit the recruiting trail we move on from last year to kind of the spring summer and obviously recruiting is a year-round thing and you get commitments at different times but you're bringing a few up in the summer one in particular that I'm sure you'll touch on but when you're out on the recruiting trail trying to find new bucks and replacing some of the very few really that contributed that are gone from last year what was the emphasis? What position specifically were you looking for? Or was it just because you do have such depth back? Um, and again, we'll break down the depth issue a little bit more uh, with all your returners in the circle and at positions. Was it just best available? You want in? We'll take it. Yes, absolutely. We, we, we don't tend to look too much position specific outside of pitcher catcher. You know, those, those you have to make sure you've got that position, position specific wise. Outside of that, we are, we're looking for, you know, talented players, obviously, but we're looking for people that can maybe play multiple positions. They can bring uh, several different uh, things to the plate, you know, speed, power, um, high average type hitter, gap to gap type hitter. So just, you know, we're looking for r well-rounded athletic um, individuals that can, that can bring a lot to us. And, and we feel like we, we brought that in. You know, we have a small group of new kids this year, one transfer, three freshmen. Um, so, but we, we like all of them. They're all going to be a big part of what we do. And, uh, and they do that. They, they provide lots of, uh, lots of different things and some intangibles in there as well. I only see three freshmen, uh, Allison Farr, Jayla Shelton, and Lily Bowen, but there's also McKenna Helton from a really prominent uh, program in this region, USC Upstate, that your team plays essentially every year, at least uh, once every couple of years in a series. But uh, you bring her in as well. Uh, well, maybe a smaller group, it seems like there's some real promise with it. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, they all four will figure into what we do. Um, they'll, they'll get lots of opportunities. And, uh, you know, McKenna, you can't argue with uh, the success she had last year uh, at Upstate, which, like you said, is a, a tremendous program. They're a top 30 program year in and year out and you know she hit over 300 and you know had over 30 stolen bases um and you know was a, a stalwart in center field for him starting every game so you know she'll she'll step in and and be a big addition uh to what we do she's a, a great young lady very athletic and uh, you know understands the game and, and understands what she's trying to get accomplished uh at a, at a high level so we're really excited to have her and then uh, Allie Farr, as a freshman, she'll, she'll be in the pitching rotation and, uh, you know, figures to throw a lot of innings for us. Uh, she's uh, got a lot of, uh, a lot of composure in, in the circle, 
which which I love. You know, she doesn't get rattled. Um, now, you know, as a freshman, I'm sure at some point over the course of the next month, you know, we'll look out there and, and she'll she may get a little rattled at some point, but she really has great ma- uh, circle composure and uh, uh, a good variety of pitches. Everything's moving, and and that's huge at our level. You know, if, if it doesn't matter what you're throwing, if it's flat, uh, it's going to get get hit out of there pretty hard. So everything she's got is moving. So we're really really looking for uh, big things out of her. Lily Bowen um, will will play outfield and probably uh, fill the DP spot some as well. Um, she's a, a, a really good hitter. She's got some power, and we're really excited about what she can do. Jayla Shelton is a uh, middle infielder, uh, play second and short, and uh, we'll, we'll probably get some opportunities at both for us. She's a left-handed slapper that can, uh, you know, uh, is, a, is a true triple threat. She can, uh, you know, bunt, soft slap, hard slap, and swing away and hit with uh, has a little bit of pop there too. So a very athletic player. So you know it is a small group, but they uh, they all four bring a lot to us. Yeah, maybe not the quantity, but certainly it sounds like some of the quality. And that's adding to a roster that's pretty loaded in terms of returners. A lot back four of your top five hitters: Nikki Grupp, Kelly Warren, Julia Fritz, and Kelsey Brown. Every inning that was in the circle. In fact, I'm just going to go around the uh, the whole infield outfield here and test my Buccaneer softball knowledge, see if I'm still on top of it, um, as I pride myself on being, as you know, Coach Irwin. Uh, behind the dish, looks like Kylie Toller and Kelsey Brown is the number two. Toller played 36 or started 36 games last year. Um, Brown was number two at 11. So you have both of them back in the circle. Uh, Schmidt, Bowling, Dyson, Fritz. Uh, Kelly was your number one last year. Taylor Bowling got a lot of innings. Mackenzie Dyson and Julia Fritz kind of came in. Um, uh, certainly Dyson more towards the tail end of the year. And then Fritz was, it seemed like, a situational type pitcher um, that could come in and put out fires when he needed her to. Over at first, you will have to replace Taylor Wright, who's gone. Jordan Durbin back at second. Lauren Lee at short. Also back, Nikki Grupp at the hot corner returns. Then in the outfield, you got Kelly Warren and Demi Coleman. Uh, you do have to replace Mallory Sure and Vanessa Elliott, of course. Uh, Mallory, um, well-known around campus, still on campus, as a matter of fact, as a graduate assistant now with women's basketball, but she came back and had her graduate year with you last year, so she gave a lot to the program over all of her years, dual-sport athlete. Uh, and then at the DP, it looks like uh, Brown, um, and when she catches, um, things may be a bit more uh, open, but it seems like eight maybe nine different players that are returning that could see significant action, some that already have seen uh, extensive action for your team, and you add the other uh, players that we talked about, and it seems like you're rolling, you know, for nine positions, 13, 14, maybe even 15 players, and plus five or six pitchers that can go out there and be productive for you. Yeah, you know, so uh, from that, we have a lot of depth, and we're really excited about the, the depth, and it's not just depth it's quality depth this year that uh, you know as a staff we're really excited about about that we got a lot of kids that that we have no problem you know inserting into the lineup and 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 we trust them so that that's really good you know we have a lot of kids back that played a lot of softball from what you what what you read off there just just you know echoes that um you know we have to uh position wise in the outfield you know we we lost uh, a lot of games there but we're excited about um you know Kelly Warren being back there and then uh, Demi's back. She can she she can play out there. Um, you know we already mentioned McKenna. She'll 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 figure in out there. And then Andrea Sarhat is a, a sophomore. Didn't get a lot of uh, game action last year, but uh, you know behind Mallory and Vanessa. But uh, we we're excited about what she can do. And then Lily Bowen as a freshman. You know so those those kids will uh, will will give us a lot of options in the outfield. And you know at first we we lose Taylor Wright. We have to replace her. You know and she's been. 
uh, was a part of what we did offensively for the last couple of years. Um, Julia Fritz will slide over there, and uh, she will pitch some. We'll probably use her in a late game pitching role in, in, a, in a reliever, you know, sometimes closer type thing um, to come in, throw, get three to six outs. You know, I think you said a few minutes ago, put out fires, and that's that's what she uh, she does well. So we'll we'll use her there for that, and uh, but she'll she'll be primarily play first base and we have Renee Spears who we moved over to first this year who gives us the depth there at first base for when Julia's pitching and uh, uh, we, we like what she can do there as well. Just going to dislocate my shoulder pat myself on the back sounds like I'm still on top of it so don't mind while I do that coach while we're teeing you up for our last question uh, this time of year what do you emphasize with the newcomers coming into you know practice starting last week, I believe it was, and so you're still in the infantile stages kind of of, of getting ready for this first weekend that is already going to feature a lot of just extensive um, and diverse opponents. Um, obviously, uh, the five-game weekends, you find out a lot about yourself, you know, one after another. So what do you emphasize with not only the new players but the returners? I'll, I'll give you a for instance here. I was looking at uh, Wofford women's basketball. They returned, I think it was 12 of their 13 players but brought in maybe only one or two and it can't help but jog my memory looking at your roster they had some issues early on it was a slower start they were projecting near the top of the league because they had so much back but they weren't able to get what they thought they would out of the team collectively and I couldn't help but think when I was looking at their roster well could it be because they didn't bring anyone else in aside from the you know one or two people to push those players that were back. How do you avoid that kind of situation and keep the mindset um, kind of frantic and urgent of the players that are back, not letting them rest on, well, I played a lot, you know, I'm going to be back in the lineup. That seems like it could undermine a team's success early in the season and derail you in the non-conference. How do you avoid that, and what do you try to communicate with your players this time of year in preparation for that first weekend? Well, I think, you know, I think they're all hungry, and we've got uh, some kids that were here last year that didn't didn't have a ton of opportunities that are very talented so you know the the other kids that have played a lot they know there's somebody on their heels from the fall you know in the fall we were able to use uh, everybody use lots of different combinations and those kinds of things so um you know and then like we referenced already the the, the quality of the new kids we have is uh, is big and, and those are at different spots so it, it helps kind of the pushing thing there nobody can get comfortable this year because of that quality depth we have so you know we we really just talk about this time of year um you know it's a grind we we'll practice two uh, three weeks and play at the you know and start playing after being gone for five or six weeks for the holiday break so you know we're outside when it, when we can but that's not guaranteed this time of year for us so we just we focus on you know getting quality uh reps in when we can get it get it in quick you know if we need to if it's 30 degrees and we're out there you know let's let's get it in quick and then you know staying on top of uh, academics because we start uh, we're, we're on the road 12 out of uh, or we're traveling or on the road 12 out of the 29 days in february mm. and then there's two two home games in there as well so that's on the road or playing 14 out of the 29 games on the road, 12 of them. So it can just snowball on you from an academic standpoint. And, you know, it's a lot of bus rides and hotels and then and, 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 uh, games. So it's great, though, because it, it jump starts your season, right? It's not play a game, sit around and wait, uh, or play a weekend and then sit around and wait for another couple of weeks to play. You know, we'll, we'll be by the end of February, we're 20, 
20 to 25 games in, you know. So we, we, we see a lot. They get to learn a lot. They see why we do what we do, why we've worked on what we've worked on. So it's just, you know, managing your time and, uh, you know, not being so road-weary when we get back, uh, taking care of your, your academics, taking care of, you, of your body and those types of things. Do make sure we talk about the road games and being away from home a lot, but do make sure, Buccaneer fans, to mark down your calendars for the Buccaneer Classic. Two tournaments this year for Brad Irwin's squad at home at Betty Baszler Field up on the hill across from uh, the mainstay of campus, right across from the ROTC area and the soccer field as well. Go up that hill, um, and it's just a, a beautiful venue for softball. Buccaneer Classic, February 28th, 29th, and 1st, and the last game of the Buccaneer Classic, your team versus the University of Tennessee. Obviously, fans in the area always like to see that contest uh, they packed it out last year program record uh, for amount of fans at a single game um, and that was uh, a lot of fun that night being there and then the ETSU classic uh, middle of March 13th and 14th along with one game on the 15th against Tennessee Tech so two separate tournaments within the first really six weeks for Brad Irwin's squad at home at Betty Baszler Field make sure you get your tickets and be there for both of those coach good luck in the rest of preparations and come February 7th uh, I'm excited I know you're excited as well and we'll talk to you again uh, once the season gets underway thanks for having me Mike hi coach Brad Irwin ETSU softball more Santos in the sidekick of the Buccaneer Sports Network after this an inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. College Insider, mid-major, top 25. Jay Sandoz has stepped out for just a moment. We're going to delay for a second on getting to the top 25. Just want to tell you that coming up on Sandoz and the Sidekick next week, we will have a chat with head coach Joe Panucci of ETSU Baseball. Last year, remember, they were on an incredible run to start their season. At one point, were 21-4. and four, And really, after that 15-16 game mark, they shattered every record for best start at the 17 game mark 18 19 20 all the way up to 25 best start in program history or at least all the way back until the game by game runs out 21 and 4 ended up about 500 in the southern conference hoping to take steps forward that year or this year I should say coming off of last year under coach Panucci which was his second season and so we'll have him to talk about maybe where those strides need to happen in year three he is top 15 in the country in winning percentage since taking over so amongst third-year head coaches he's one of the best in terms of winning percentage in the country in fact I have it right here I think he's actually number five I added a one in front of the stat I want to short coach Panucci so we will have him on next week just talk to head coach Brad Irwin and now the college insider made major top 25 Gonzaga 
33-point win over Pacific, still number two in the country in both major polls. Baylor hopped them in the coaches' poll, so they were number one in the coaches' poll, still entering uh, this week. And then they were bumped to number two because Baylor moved up to number one and now matches the AP Top 25 and having Baylor one and Gonzaga two. The West Coast Conference is really only important team. There's another West Coast Conference team, though, at number two, 10 and 11-point wins this week for St. Mary's, unfortunately for the Gales. It does not matter because the rest of the WCC essentially useless thanks to Gonzaga's dominance or Jay Sandoz do you think that St. Mary's is still viable no no I think the only way St. Mary's is viable is when Gonzaga throws another championship game uh to get the league <laughs> still on I'm, I'm still yeah. going with it up three spots this week are St. Mary's with the lost Liberty took to North Florida which we'll talk about in a second Yale number three just one game last week an 11 point win over Brown 14 overall wins now for the Bulldogs most in the Ivy League and tied with Princeton and Harvard at 2-0 in their league. ETSU, Yale was up one spot. The Bucks up two on the bigger stage. They were up 11 spots in the AP Top 25. 42nd last week, 31st this week, 6th in the receiving votes category, number 31 in the country, according to the AP Top 25. With wins over Mercer and UNCG in the next three days, Jay Sandos, are they in the Top 25? I think they'll be 26. What do you think of that? So the first team out. First team out. I think they're going to be knocking on the door. Can I go back to Liberty for a half second? Well, we're not there yet. Okay, go. Number five, Northern Iowa. One vote behind the box in the AP Top 25. 13 points to the box. 14, the Panthers beaten by Southern Illinois by two Wednesday. Do get a five-point win over Loyola Sunday. That same Loyola team, number 26 in this poll, the mid-major Top 25. So a nice win there, but doesn't help them avoid a two-spot slide because of that loss to the Salukis. UNCG, number six, up one spot from seven to six. Western Carolina on the road tonight after beating Sanford on the road last Saturday for UNCG. I'm going to put you on the spot now and make fun of you Friday if your take proves terrible by the end of tonight's Spartans Catamounts clash. Is UNCG the top contender in the SoCon to challenge the Bucks, who seem right now to be the runaway favorite? I think if you're an ETSU fan and you're a Southern Conference fan of trying to get multiple teams in, you need to be a UNCG fan. I think if you are not concerned about anybody else than your Buccaneers, and then I think you need to pull for Western Carolina. So I think it depends on what side of the fence you're on. Didn't answer the question. Are they the top contender to win the title? Yes. Number seven, Liberty. We warned you about the disgustingness of the Atlantic Sun and Liberty in a backwards way. Proves it to be true. They lose to the only other A-Sun team with a record above 500, North Florida, and follow that up by losing to Stetson on a night they scored 43 points. Liberty Stetson, North Florida, now tied at the top of the league at 5-2. and two. The A-Sun continues to be a mess. The Flames flaming out down five spots this week. I just, you know, I've been pretty non... Committal. Uh, nah. I have not crushed the mid-major poll like I did the FCS poll. But when you lose two games in one of the worst leagues of all of college basketball. Garbage. And you lose to a team that's ranked 198 in net. Garbage. And 301. Garbage. And you drop. Eh, we'll just drop you. Five spots. spots. What are people looking at? Like, how in the world is Furman, Stephen F. Austin, Wright State, Harvard, Akron, BYU, all those? T- like, what? Those are two of the worst loss back-to-back in the same week. It's not like they lost in one poll and then lost the next game in the next poll and people weren't paying attention to it. They lost those two horrific games as they were getting votes in the top 25 and only dropped five. So, that's that's mm-hmm. I'm going to have my first gripe with the mid-major voters on this. I just don't understand 
uh, and I, you know, Casey Alexander is the voting member for the ASUN, but he can't do that alone. And I'm sure he's thinking, oh, let's help the league out. Let's put them up there. Sure, that's fine and dandy. But, man, how in the world did they not drop 10, 12, 14 spots? That baffling to me. Especially considering the next three teams stand right where they were last week. Furman at number eight, winning by 47 combined points over Sanford and Citadel. Clearly the Paladins' level of opponent didn't do much to impress the voters despite the impressive wins. Stephen F. Austin, couple of road wins this week over Northwestern State and Lamar. They also stand pat at the top of the Southland and number nine in this poll this week because those two teams they played had just 13 wins combined overall on the season. Then Wright State, similar fate for them, a blowout win, but they gained no traction to move up staying at number 10, despite the fact that their win was over Northern Kentucky by 32. Northern Kentucky, the Norse, second in the league. So to your point, you've got Furman, Stephen F. Austin, Wright State combined go undefeated. Now, granted, Furman and Stephen F. Austin's opponents probably weren't head turners in terms of those wins, but... Northern Kentucky's been a pretty all right team now for a little bit of time, and they're second in the league. Well, and they're ranked 141. So how can you lose to a team 198 and 300 and a team beats somebody 141? And and the, the Furman wins both, both Sanford and was it VMI? They, they, Citadel. Or Citadel. They're both in the 300. So you, you get you that can, a little bit. I, I do. I, I think still two wins, though. Again, you still beat lower echelon Steve teams. Steve F. Austin on the road. Yes, they're lower echelon, but on the road. It's tough to win on the road, right? I'm going to check that real quick. And those were in the 300s as well. So, But still. I, but people don't know. Apparently, Stetson's in the 300s. I, I don't know why that matters. I, I don't understand. Two wins are greater than two losses if all the teams you're playing are not very good. Or in the three. And then to right state. Probably has the biggest scrap of everybody. Yes. They had a, such a quality win in their league and did not be rewarded. So I have no idea what the voters are doing on this one. Number 11, Harvard, two spots north, thanks to a road win at Dartmouth. Akron, number 12, up four spots this week. Wins over Miami and Ohio separately. Not Miami of Ohio. Miami and Ohio. The win over the Bobcats. They get 35 from Loring Christian Jackson, and they needed just about all of them, a two-point victory. One of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. Fifth in the nation in three-point percentage are the Zips, two of the top ten individually in Channel Banks and Lauren Christian Jackson. Number 13, BYU. We build their week as the toughest amongst mid-majors last week, and they almost escaped it with a pair of wins. They handled Pacific on the road by 14, but then had to go to San Francisco, both teams in the mid-major poll as of last week, and that second game bit them. The Cougars lead by as many as 14, but lose 83-82. to Only a three at the buzzer, making it look a bit closer for the Cougars, who are down four in the final seconds. For that loss, they are down two spots. New Mexico State, number 14, a climb of four spots this week for the Aggies. Went on the road to Texas Rio Grande Valley and snatched a five-point win. Four spots up despite UTRGV being 6-13 and 13 on the year. Now two games clear in the WAC are New Mexico State. Cal State, Bakersfield, and Cal Baptist. Two games behind the 6-0 and Aggies. Number 15, Colgate out of the Patriot League. Up two spots in yesterday's poll. A 10-point road win at American, giving the Raiders a game-and-a-half lead in the Patriot. American could have overtaken Colgate with a win, but instead the Raiders rested comfortably entering tonight, a home game against Lafayette. Kent State, number 16, the Golden Flashes. They slipped four positions to number 16, and they're now two games behind Bowling Green and Akron in the MAC East. They beat Buffalo Saturday. Solid win as they're now tied in the MAC East for third at four and three. But the loss earlier in the week we talked a bit about last week, 76 to 69, the final uh, to Northern Illinois to put Kent State at number 16. Then Santa Clara split their two games last week, but it's the WCC, and we already talked about BYU too much, so. 
we will move right on. Number 18, Bowling Green. Mentioned them, tied with Akron for the MAC East and overall MAC lead, as the West doesn't have a team with more than 11 overall wins. Six straight wins for the Falcons, who are turning the ball over just 10 and a half times a game. That's top 10 in the country for fewest turnovers. Also rebounding prolifically, over 40 rebounds per game, number 23 in the country. This is what I'm going to ask you about the MAC and just generally a larger question about college basketball. MAC West, terrible. MAC East, clearly much better. I get the geography, the travel, splitting leagues into East and West for those type of reasons, but you're going to have a team in the championship game this year out of the MAC West that is clearly undeserving of being there. Are you a fan of splitting East and West or North and South as some leagues do? Well, it depends on how the tournaments are set up. And so, uh, you know, the SEC went away from the East-West uh, they basically guaranteed the the winner of each or whatever gets a buy the east and west and after that it's sort of just a normal ranking system so it depends on how they're set up they're still playing tournament style so the east could still play in the semifinals and championship versus one another if they play east versus west so i mean i'm sure we could look it up see exactly how the tournament's set up but it's not like football where it's just the winner of this and the winner of that goes like there will be quarterfinal, semifinal action at some point in time where the East, uh, if they were truly dominant, would dominant. We saw that a couple times in the in the Southern Conference, and where it would be uh, the the South at that point had College of Charleston and had Chattanooga when they were kind of in their heyday, and and so you would see that, and then Davidson and ETSU on the North side. So it just those kind of come and go geography. It depends on really how it set up and in, in the buys and what kind of traditional tournament but there's no guarantee that the uh, mac west team will be represented in the championship game so uh, are you trying to find the bracket yeah and i think i just overreacted i think i'm just uh, really on my i think you're on, on a football kick today. there okay yeah, that's there right. you go. i don't know differences between sports uh murray state number 19 steady at home super in the poll a 10 point win over belmont 12 point win over tennessee state up five spots tied for the biggest rise in the college insider mid-major top 25 still tied for first in the ovc with austin p each squad eight and in the league longest win streaks in the country san diego state 21 Baylor, 16. Gonzaga, 13. Winthrop and Florida State at 10. Then Murray State with a host of others with 9. Vermont, number 20. The team that Murray State is tied with for the biggest jump in the poll is the Catamounts. Five spots up after being number 25 last week. Top of the America East by a game over Stony Brook. A narrow win over Maine on the road Wednesday. A thrashing of UMass Lowell at home. 92-62 Saturday. A couple of bottom feeders in their league, but Vermont does now have 15 overall wins. Then Austin P. Number 21, the team that Murray State is tied with atop the OVC ranked this week after not being so last week. The governor's Terry Taylor leads the nation in field goals made and fifth in the country in scoring at 23 points per game. Dropped 37 in the win over Tennessee State Thursday, his fifth 30-plus point game this year. Nine double-doubles and double digits in scoring every game this season. San Francisco, more WCC. Not so interested in talking about them. Moving down three spots. William & Mary, number 23, down one position after a loss to Towson in CAA play. The Tigers charging hard. Now just one game behind William & Mary for the Colonial lead. They've won a league-high six in a row. Winthrop, here we are, number 24. Talked about the longest win streaks in the country. One of them enters the poll this week in an ETSU opponent from earlier this year. I think both you and I thought after the tight win for the Bucks against Winthrop earlier this year, they would be a contender to make the tournament. And lo and behold, 10 wins in a row, undefeated in the Big South and in pole position to get in. And apparently have a great situation <clears throat> considering that the win at St. Mary's, the uh, you know spectacular West Coast Conference, greatest conference in the history of mankind, apparently to everybody uh, but us. So uh, they got that going for them. Seeing Winthrop in there I, I think is great. And looking at the couple games, you already say who they're playing this week? No, I didn't. All right, so you take a look at their games. they got Charleston Southern UNCA. They should not have a blip on the radar. They mm. should continue to roll. So that'll be 12. 
Yes, uh, in a row, right? In a row. Yeah, twelve is pretty pretty solid. Then uh, Little Rock, you know, number twenty five. They got the two guys eligible uh, mid year, and so we'll see them next year. That was a home and home. So Little Rock will be coming to Freedom Hall, and how much better that win looks because they were picked, I think, ninth out of 10, 11 teams, something like that, 12 teams, whatever they got in that league now. And so they've got a couple winnable games, home games, Coastal Carolina and App State. And really, you know, ETSU obviously played App State, but right now need Little Rock because here's the key, Little Rock in the net ranking. That's what I was trying to look up just a second ago. Little Rock in the net ranking is knocking on the door of, of getting in the top 125. That would be a quad one road win for ETSU if they can get them into the 125 range. If they can get them even higher in that. Right now, a solid quad two game, but they could get a few teams to get in the quad one. Winthrop continues to win. That could help change quads as well. The problem is ETSU played a home game there, so you have to be much higher, the road team does, to, to get uh, the higher ranking as far as the quad wins and all that goes. And I could break that down on a separate show, but not the – do that and and by the way the mac just does a straight one through 12 seating they don't do east west so foolish foolish mike gallagher uh ualr a game and a half lead over georgia state and two over arkansas state another team that gave the blue and gold a run for their money before coming up short late that being little rock so liberty lackluster bucks to four murray state and vermont on the rise and new blood featuring a pair of buck foes from the non-conference this week gonzaga revisits santa clara i'll give the west coast conference a reprieve if the broncos avenge their 50 point loss earlier this month is that fair if they go from losing if by 50 it, yeah, to yeah, beating yeah. Gonzaga. i mean you get a plus 50 turnaround that's solid uh that's thursday then st mary's at byu and gonzaga at san francisco saturday in the socon tonight uncg at western saturday of course the big buck spartans clash at freedom hall nothing much in the ovc as that murray state austin p clash isn't for another two weeks in the mac akron at kent state a ranked mid-major matchup friday night and the big one in the ivy league harvard at princeton another college insider top 25 matchup of ranked teams there you go. There it is. Top 25. Friday, we're going to recap ETSU's game versus Mercer. We'll preview the ETSU game versus UNCG. We'll preview Chattanooga. ETSU on the women's side. Bold, 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 bold prediction. I have some ground to make up, I think. I think the research starts now. What do they say? That you don't win it on game day. You win it in the preseason, the offseason, the days leading up to game day. You're, you're going the, the week of preparation is more important than I need the it. pick. Yep, I need it. All right. So. I got to get my mind right. Don't Don't get, we are exactly one week away from signing day, too. Oh, yeah. So next week will be uh, we'll have a special segment there. We'll tell you about that, though, on Friday, break down the week of how we'll handle that because ETSU plays on Wednesday on the road, but we will still handle signing day with all of its glory. Santos and a sidekick back with you on Friday on the Market Air. Sports Network. See ya.